And uh, I am so looking forward to tonight. Tonight is, there's going to be stuff that you're going to hear tonight that some of you, well, you're just, I've never heard it before. And it's going to be absolutely awesome, but we will get to that. I want us to stand tonight, and I want to honour and welcome Apostle Mike Connell. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Righto. Well, we're going to get straight into it because there's so much to do tonight. And uh, Mike, I, I'm so grateful that you're here with us. And uh, I've been talking to Mike about continuing doing these because there's so much more that we again um, need to cover. And I believe that this is a, a, an historic time of revelation and truth that is unfolding at this time. Now, you know, Mike, so thank you so much for being with us. And uh, Mike and I have been friends for about 30 or 40 years. Um, he never lets me get depressed. And he, uh, <laughs> you know, he'll tickle me and fight me and do all sorts of stuff. Send you but funnies and memes. Send me yeah. funnies. I mean, if you saw some of the funnies I get, I mean, they are hilarious. But we've got to stick to the point tonight. <laughs> uh, last week, you spoke from Romans 8 regarding all creation waiting right. For the revealing of the sons of God. Romans 8, 22 to 23 says, For I know that the whole creation groans and suffers the, pain of, the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Last week, you made the distinction between being children of God and being sons of God and the issue of adoption. And I just think it is such a critical question. I just wonder if you would just give us a quick revision synopsis of that whole concept for us, please. Right, okay, wow. It's great to be here again and uh, to be with people that are so hungry. And uh, I just uh, have so much enjoyed just our time just over the internet doing this. And, uh, and just, uh, we've been leading this. I think you tried to get onto this passage about... Four weeks ago. Oh, five or six five weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a great journey, and I think sometimes it's best not to hurry things, just to gradually line up online, open it up. And this passage on um, the uh, on the adoption of the sons of God, or the manifestation of the sons of God, leads into where we're going tonight. There's a key phrase in there that shows uh, uh, how it leads from here into what we're going to look at uh, in, uh, in Revelations 12. So first of all, you notice there, when we read the passage, uh, sometimes it doesn't translate the words according to what the original words were, so you may see children or sons, and they've mixed up in the translation the distinction between the two. So when it uses the word uh, 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 technon, it's referring to a child, it's referring to a child by it's their identity, we are born into the family of God, we have a new identity, we're a child of God, we're children of God. And then when it uses the word uh, uh, wanting to talk about maturity, about honor, about dignity, about stature, about positioning for uh, sharing the Father's inheritance, he uses a different word completely. He used the word huios. And the word huios then is very carefully used to describe maturity. And uh, particularly, it's used in relationship to the word adoption. So uh, when it's wanting to talk about someone who's a child and in a growing process, their identity is that uh, they've come into a family of God, they use technon. When they want to talk about someone who's a mature son, they use the word huios. It's always quite distinct, and I encourage people to actually check when you're reading which the word is, because to the reader in the original language, they understood the difference. 
The second thing that uh, comes on this is, and of course it says in Romans 8 verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons or huios of God. So again, it's very, very clear that to be huios, the mature son of God, requires a lifestyle of being led by the Holy Spirit. That means a surrender to the leadership of the Holy Spirit who takes us through the transformation processes of God and leads us into our assignment. So you find Jesus, for example, after he's baptized, anointed in the Holy Ghost, he doesn't go straight out and start his ministry. He is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, which is the place of preparation. He returns from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. So again, you see all through his life, led by the Spirit, surrendered to the Spirit and to the process the Holy Spirit wants him to go through. So for many Christians, the problem is this, they don't want to grow up. <laughs> they resist the maturing process of God. Yeah. And so it says uh, in, in, in Romans uh, 8 verse 29, it is God's eternal purpose that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ totally transformed, the word is metamorphosis, a complete shift, so we actually become a representative of Christ in his image, showing the character and fruit of Christ. That is the long game. The short game is God then is able to make all things work together for our good to accomplish that purpose. And so we see then that number one, Tecton is the child by identity, Huios is a son, maturity gone through the process that God puts us into a training process. And that's, that's, he, he did the same with Israel in the wilderness. He said, Israel, my son, he had rescued them. They were saved by the blood. They come under the water baptism, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Then he takes them through the process. And the process should have been a short period, 10 days, meaning the completion of this process of training. And it was to prepare them for inheritance. But as we're aware, the majority failed because they resisted the process. So... So let me interrupt for a moment. So we're talking about sons in terms of the generic sons and daughters, so that's incorporating everybody. But, but the whole issue is that you are not automatically a son or daughter of God in terms of how the, how the, 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 the Hebraic view of it. Um, all are children of God, but you have to prepare and qualify to be sons and daughters of God. Absolutely. And the word in the Old Testament for son... Uh, as, and it's, it's the word ben, and uh, the word for daughter is the word bana from the same root ben, and it means to be a builder of the father's house. So if we're to be a child of God, the, the, the Hebrew thinking then of a son would be, and, and so, so when you use the word son, it's referring, it's a, it's a generic term, it's referring to men and woman, because we're neither male nor female in Christ, in the same way that male and female are the bride of Christ. So it's talking about our relationship to God and mm. our function. Yeah. And so a son was called to be the representative of the father, to accurately represent him because he carried the DNA, the nature, the values, and the life of the father, knew what the father wanted. And secondly, he advances the father's business or kingdom. So we see Jesus at the age of 12, don't you know I must be about my father's business, positioning himself in order to be trained and prepared and go through the process of becoming a son. And because I don't want to sit on this area tonight because we did it extensively yeah. last week. However, it is important to understand there is this idea that everybody's the same. But you see, that is not a biblical concept no. because actually what God is looking for is whether he can entrust 
to his children. Yes, yes. And if he can entrust responsibility to his children, then they qualify to become sons and daughters of God. Yes, yes. or no? Yes, absolutely. Yep. It's all an issue of entrustment. You don't entrust to a child a rich inheritance. No. No, because otherwise you just, just waste so it. So Galatians 4 says, uh, just as children are under governors until the time appointed by the Father, we're under the, 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 the guidance of the Holy Spirit until <laughs> we come to maturity. Yeah. And, and you see this in 1 John 2, where he says, children and then son, uh, young men and then fathers. So he's talking about a process of growth. You know, children... Uh, he's saying your sins are forgiven. In other words, children are always focused on sin and failure and how can I know does God love me? You know, all that kind of area because they're not established. Yeah. So, uh, young men, you are strong. The word of God abides in you. You have overcome the devil. Well, right there, that eliminates a lot of people <laughs> who haven't really come to that stage. <laughs> then it says the process into father. You, fathers, you know him. There's intimacy with God to the <clears throat> point you carry his heart to be a father to others. You are now fully grown son. Yeah, unbelievable. And of course, um, Mike, this morning you spoke, I think the best I've ever heard on Matthew 25 about the parable regarding the bride and the bridegroom yes. and qualifying to enter into yes. the celebration of the marriage feast yes. of the lamb, as it were. Yes. And I mean, it was, if you didn't, if you haven't listened to this morning, it is probably one of the most transformational messages I've heard for a very long time. And I've invited you to come back and do the other two parables. <laughs> well, we whetted the appetite, didn't we? Yeah, we whetted the appetite. But, you know, Mike, I'm going to just get straight into this. And I'm going to take about five minutes to talk to you about something. What we are now about to enter into, I want to say this. This is, was understood by people of my age back in the 1970s and 80s. And for those of you who are around, um, Neville Johnson uh, and the Queen Street AIG, there was a great move of God. I was at the Mandalay when he was having his Tuesday night Bible studies when he actually taught what you're going to hear tonight. What you are going to hear tonight is absolutely phenomenal. And I've been wanting to get to this the whole time. <laughs> I wonder if we could find uh, Revelation chapter 12 um, and just... Uh, Maybe we could just get it up on the screen for a moment. But I believe Revelation chapter 12 is, is the focus of everything in the Bible. I do not believe that any person can fully understand Scripture without understanding Revelation 12 and, and some of the following chapters. And um, it just, it's so critical. So I'm just going to take a few minutes to set the platform for it. So, here, so I'm just going to read it, make a few comments. And, uh, and not try to get into a teachy mode. You ready? <laughs> right, here we go. Um, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So we've got a woman, the church, who's clothed with the fullness of the Godhead, Father, the Son, Son, the moon, and the Holy Spirit, the stars. This is symbolism that we, that we understand. It's, it's, we could prove it easily. Verse 2, And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Just like Romans 8, the church is with child waiting to give birth. And, and all creation is waiting for this event. Then another peer, uh, sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven horns and ten horns, on, and on his head were seven diadems. 
and its tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. So you remember, who was it that um, swept away a third of the angels in heaven? Hey, it was the devil, Satan. Bible says, and there was a third of the angels were cast down. And so verse 5, and so she gave birth to a son, a male child. This is what we are talking about, son, coming to sonship, daughtership, if you like, a male <laughs> child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So here we've got the dragon, verse 9, referred to as the devil and Satan. And you will remember in the book of Job that Satan has access to the throne of God. And he goes and brings accusation against Job. And today the Bible says he still is the accuser of the brethren. He's still accessing the throne room of God. And he is still bringing accusation. But there is a war. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared for God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days, three and a half years. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come for the accuser. Hey, now this is how we know that this is talking about the future. And the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down and he accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb, because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when, now listen to it, and when the dragon saw he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman, right, who gave birth to the male child. But two wings of an eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a times, three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. So let's just get the idea. There's a war. Satan is cast down from access to heavenly places and is now facing the reality, Satan and his angels on earth. And he is furious. So he wages war on the Christians. And the serpent poured, verse 15, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with a flood. Now listen, but the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon had poured out of his mouth. 
Suddenly there's supernatural provision, protection made for Christians. They are there during the three and a half years, but they find a place of protection. You see, they're not taken out of the earth. They are there. See, God will save us not out of tribulation, but through tribulation. But you see, here's the problem. So the dragon was enraged with the woman, went off to make war with the rest of the children who kept the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. In other words, there were th three groups of Christians. The man-child group, the group that found a place of provision and protection in the wilderness, and the group that had failed to qualify as sons and daughters of God, and so the devil waged his anger against them, and actually we know that they all got their heads cut off. That's a happy story. That's a very happy story. <laughs> but you see, unless we understand that story, we will not understand Genesis chapter 1 and everything that followed that. So, Mike, let's, um, and I don't even know where to start on this, but let's start on explaining the sons of God yes. and the manifest sons of okay. God. If we can just link back into where we were in Romans 8. It tells us there in verse 19, the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. And it says then the whole, verse 20, the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains. So there in Romans 8, it's talking about birth pains associated with the bringing forth of the sons of God or the manifestation of sons of God. And Jesus himself in Matthew 24 also referred to it because uh, he said, uh, in Matthew 24, he, said, he talks about wars, rumors of wars. Verse 7, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, and various places. These are the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pains. So now you see something's happening in the church and something's happening in the earth. The earth is groaning under the weight of sin and wars and injustice and abuse of the environment and the weight of what's taken place over generations. And so it comes all to a head where there's a turmoil. So wars and earthquakes and all kinds of things and the climate, every kind of thing is happening. And it says, he, Jesus says, these are birth pains. They are, the, get, they are the, the signs that what God is birthing is about to take place. So you can't stop those things happening. There will be increase of earthquakes, increase of all these activities, but they're all, we're not to look and get overwhelmed. We're to look and say, God's plan is about to show, it's, it's going to, about to be revealed to the earth. There's an uncovering. The revealing of something that was hidden all through the Bible now is about to come forth. Yep. But in coming forth, it's associated with tremendous birth pains. So, and, uh, so we see that both Jesus said it in Matthew 24 and also Paul is saying the same thing. And then when you get into Revelations uh, uh, 12, 13, 14, it's like it's an interlude which is the summary of, of the fulfillment of God's plan. Oh, that's brilliant. It's like Unbelievably everything brilliant. has been working towards this and right in the middle of the book of Revelation, he takes a pause and then just gives you a summary and he begins to talk about it and he describes a whole lot of events and different things and, uh, and, and, and it's really, it's just, it's stunning really. He, he talks in Revelations 12 about the birth of the, birth of the man child and then the, co the conflict that will take place in the heavens and then in verse chapter 13, he begins to talk then in the, of the great tribulation 
manipulation of the three and a half years of what's going to happen, the, the nations gathering together, all the persecution and the things like that. And then again, he goes back into it in uh, Revelations 14, talking about the first fruits inheritance, again about the sons of God. So this is like a stop. Here's what's going to happen, a summary. And uh, once you see that, then you, you realize then that this is significant. Now, what you're saying is true. This is actually what God has been working towards from Genesis. Yes. Genesis Absolutely. chapter 3, where he said that the, uh, the seed of the woman yeah. would stamp on the, the, uh, on the serpent's head. See, that's, the, that's why there's so much attack against the church. Of course. Eh? Well, it was only beginning. That's why we got spiritual warfare. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the devil doesn't want the manifest birthing of this company of believers because yeah. of the impending war in the heavens. Yes, yes, exactly. Now... People take two viewpoints on this uh, Revelations 12. Some take a historic, it already took place. Now, if it's already taken place and you're wrong, this is a really serious problem. <laughs> if it's prophetic and it's to come, you have a great hope. And you also are motivated to prepare. Yes. So it is really important not to just look at it and say, oh, the book's too hard, I can't understand it. If we take that line and say, oh, it's just all too hard for me, I won't understand it. And so then we fail to uh, understand that John wrote in Revelations 1 verse 3, blessed is the man who reads this book, and this prophecy, and keeps the words. See, see, the, see, this raises a major issue. See, there are many people who'll say, well, the last days, you know, whatever will be, will be, it'll all be okay. But actually it won't be. No. You see, and, and that attitude that many people have is just totally ignoring the entire canon of scripture that is saying we are meant to be preparing ourselves Absolutely. for this moment why would he say in revelations 2 and 3 about promises to overcomers if we weren't meant to overcome <laughs> so 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 just to, to just comment just on that before we get a look into the manifestation or the man child yep um john was instructed in revelations 1 write about the things which are to come Right. Not the things which are in the past, the things which are to come. Yep. Secondly, he said he called it a prophecy. Those who read this prophecy, so he's speaking again of things which are to come. And, uh, and, and, we, and, and so we see when we look at that, very clearly he's talking about some things ahead. Now, it's talking about the man-child, and Jesus was never referred, he used the word technon at one point, and it says her child was caught up to heaven. Jesus was only ever referred to as a technon once, and that was at 12. So how could this be Jesus? It can't be Jesus. This is actually referring to something else. This is referring to the overcomers. Mm. So they use different words. They use the overcomers. They use man-child. They use the remnant. They, they use different terms to describe the same thing, yep. bringing out a different aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so, so once we see that, then we... And then, of course, if you look in the passage, you'll see something else there and say, uh, for example... Uh, in verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on its, uh, on its head. And, and of course, as you look at that, you realize it's referring to the nations, the, the different nations that ruled the earth or ruled the, the known world. There was a sequence of them that, are, that date right back through the Bible. And notice all seven of them are there. All seven of them have got crowns, meaning all seven, this, whenever this takes place, all seven have got governmental authority in the earth. But unto the point this was written, only six had. Mm. 
So you, you've got Greece and, and the Medes and Persians and so on, it goes right down to Rome. So that's, there are six uh, different groups or nation, world governments in that sense. Hmm. So this, this prophecy makes it really clear that the seven have been crowned or the seven have their authority at the stage of the writing of this only six had. So it puts it in the middle of the tribulation. Yeah. It puts it right there at the end of the three and a half years, just as you were describing. Yeah. So, so we see it's not historic, it's actually prophetic. The whole thing is prophetic. And so now we're looking then at the, a group of people who are being birthed from the church. So we now need to look then at who these people are called the man-child. So if you notice, look there, you see there are several people. Number one, the first thing you see is the, is the woman. So you've got the heavenly woman, a sign, verse 1, a sign appeared in heaven. The woman clothed with the sun and the moon and under her feet, head a garland of 12 stars. So this clearly is the church. It represents the end time church and it's in a move of God. It's in a realm of the spirit and it's being prepared to give birth. Clearly this is the church. Uh, secondly, we notice there the second character that's identified uh, in verse 3 is the dragon. As you mentioned before, uh, is it another sign appeared in heaven? A great fiery red dragon having seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems on its head. The word great means having enormous spiritual power. The word red is fire-like in his anger and his rage mm, towards the woman. Absolutely. Yeah. So a, a dragon. And notice where the dragon is. It's in heaven. It's in the, now, it's not talking about the third heaven where God dwells. It's talking about the, the, the spirit realm, the spirit world, the second heaven. That's where he operates from. So many believers don't realize that even though Jesus has conquered the devil as the representative of man and been given all authority in heaven and earth, he hasn't yet taken that power. Yeah. Why has he not taken that? Why? Why? See, if he wanted to, he could just get the devil out of the way like that. Yeah. yeah. Because later on in the book of Revelation, towards the end, it says, a great angel came down, bound the devil, and threw him into, into, into uh, a lake of fire. In a lake of fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if God can just at, a, just at a command like that unleash an angel that binds the devil and throws him in the lake of fire, what is all of this about? Exactly. You're going to answer that for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, well, well, we have to. <laughs> but, but you understand, but what you got, the thing to see is that God at any moment could release that angel, bind the devil, and he's put into the lake of fire. Mm, mm. So that tells us all authority lies with God, not with the devil. The devil's just a tool that can, that, that's fulfilling a part of God's plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if God's restraining, why is he restraining? Well, it's very simple why he's restraining, because Jesus is wanting to raise up a company of people who can help him govern through the coming millennium. Now you see a, a prefigure of that in the parable of the talents. I won't give too much away, but yeah. and it's also in the parable of the pounds. Why don't you look at 19, the parable of the, uh, the pounds or miners, and there's a nobleman, Jesus, who, received, uh, who, who has gone to a far country to receive a kingdom and return. So what is his plan? His plan is to give a season of time when the servants can have an opportunity to demonstrate their faithfulness to him and qualify or disqualify to be part with him in advancing his kingdom. Hmm. So Jesus is not just going to come and flick his hands and make everything all change. He's got a thousand year period and See, he will yeah. have people 
that he will entrust layers and levels of authority and responsibility to work with them in transforming the earth. We're talking about the culture of the nations. We're talking about the laws, the legal system. Mm. We're talking about educational system. We're talking about the uh, economic systems, the health systems, and even the environment, the care of the environment. Yeah, yeah. So, so of course, this, this whole process and birthing of this um, company is, of course, not the virgin birth, but no. there is a... There is a a, a parallel. A, a parallel, yes. exactly. And one of the things that some people may not understand is that there is a, a, a thousand-year rulership of Christ with his group of people that have qualified. Can Absolutely. you just, just explain yeah. that for a moment? Because some people may not understand that. No. Well, in Revelation chapter 20, it talks very clearly. There's a 1,000-year period, and it says they ruled and reigned with Christ, the right. kings and priests unto God. Yes. So every believer is called to be a king and a priest. Yeah. So here be the first question. What does a king do and what does a priest do? Because mm. we're called to be that. Mm. Okay, then. This is where a royal priesthood, 1 Peter. Okay? So a priest is a person who goes into the presence of God, is a worshiper, is a person who offers the sacrifice of praise, is a person who comes in and intercedes on behalf of others, is a person who comes out of the presence of God and blesses people. What is a king? A king is a person who uh, makes decrees, who asserts authority to bring governance and to bring the law or the, the culture of the kingdom into being. Now, if we're priests and kings, we then, no matter where we work, education, government, wherever, it doesn't really matter where we are, every one of us then is called to come before the Lord, build an intimate relationship, come with offerings of praise and worship, come with intercession for the needs of people, come out and bring the life and power of the Spirit to bless people. And in our realm of influence, our territory, whatever that is, it's not a matter of how big it is, whatever that is. It's if you're a husband and it's in your family, a marriage area, uh, wherever you are, you've got a territory. The first realm of your territory is your own life. Then it's what's around you, what you're responsible for. So you begin to start to pray in a way that governs, takes authority in those areas. Now, now my subduing demons. Now, if you're not doing that now, how could you possibly qualify to be a king and priest to God that will rule with him a thousand years and have a greater dimension? Absolutely. And you see, the thing that people must understand is that Christ is going to come back, establish a thousand-year reign on what is basically a totally corrupted and, yes. and very potentially destroyed earth because yes. it could be nuclear the warfare, it yeah, could yeah. be anything, but the tribulation that will happen <laughs> be devastated. is going to devastate the earth. Some of us will survive that. Some of us will get killed through it, depending on this whole issue and so on. But you see, we've got to understand there's a thousand-year reign where God is looking for a people who have got authority, power, the spirit of governance, faith, yep. to be able to administrate the thousand-year reign of Christ. Absolutely. That's why in the parable of the pounds, he gives them a little bit to rule over now. He says, well done, you've been faithful over that. I'll make you ruler over this. You know one of the exciting things, that, and we won't talk too much about it tonight, well, I'll just say it. Um, briefly, you know that at the end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, there are all these people get born during that time. Yes, yes, exactly. And they are then there's a season, a short season, where their what they have built into their lives is tested. Yes. And if they are disqualified, they're like a fire. Exactly. And and that's that 
can be Christians yeah, yeah. who haven't yeah. qualified yeah. for God's best, even into eternity, well, God always, when there's a new heaven and a new earth. He always puts things through testings. That's exactly. part of his way. That's what happened to Adam. He was put through a testing to develop and for maturity. I mean, we can understand why um, everything people have tried to theologically destroy this teaching and try to put the book of Revelation in the past, yes. when, in, when in reality it's a, it's a warning, it's a future. prophetic yeah, word, isn't it? Exactly. Say, come on, guys, it's about the future. some stuff's going to happen, yeah. you know. Well, it says, of course, Jesus' teaching on this in Matthew 24 said, would many be offended and many would lose their love because of the lawlessness? And yeah. that's what we're seeing. They look yeah. around, they see how bad everything is, and then they get offended, what's going on. And, and, this, and he's saying in the end times, because people don't understand what God is doing yeah. and their part in it and how to operate in it, they'll become offended, offended at God, offended with one another. Yeah. Yeah. And because of the, and, and, and it says love will grow cold. Yeah. And of course, in, in Revelations 2, he says, one of the things about the overcomers, you must overcome lukewarmness. You must deal with the issue of lukewarmness and compromise and the spirit of Jezebel and all these things That's that he right. says will be characterizing the end time church. Yeah. Yeah. So the man child, they're also the sons of God. They are birthed out of the church. Yeah. They are people within the church who while everyone can't tell what's going on, God can see that in their daily life, they're committed to overcome. They're overcoming in little things every day. You may not see them. Maybe it be a, a housewife, and in, in her way, she's carrying the presence yep, of God. She's yep. overcoming the little challenges that come yep, at night. Yep, we yep. never see the challenges people face. Yep. But quietly, she's overcoming each of the things that Jesus spoke about in Revelations 2 and 3. Yeah. So we don't see that. There'd be an intercessor someone. You never see them. But quietly, in the background, they're overcoming all the things in Revelations 2 and 3. I'm, I mean, it's line upon line, precept upon precept, because if you remember, we talked a few weeks ago, I think in 1 Corinthians 3, about whatever you build in your life, wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious, precious stones. All we tested. And it's all going to be tested. Some things are going to get burnt up, and you yeah. will not take it through. No, that's exactly right. See? So the issue at stake in Jesus' teaching was reward. So this is about reward. This is about all the things that you've battled with, overcome, the things you've walked through and stood through, finally, God puts his hand on you and says you qualify, and then you are birthed into a dimension in the spirit. This group of people are called the man-child, the overcomers, the remnant. This, and, 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 and we saw in, in, uh, in, uh, in Romans 8 that this refers to the first resurrection. Yes. The, the adoption has not yet taken place. The adoption is yet to come. Yep. In other words, he says, it's the resurrection from the dead, the redemption of the which body. Is, which is what Paul said. He said that I might attain to the resurrection yes, exactly. because there was a suggestion there I might not attain because we right. don't know until the moment what is Who going to actually happen. Now, you see, if you've never heard this stuff before, you're probably sitting there thinking, man, have I got any hope. But don't worry. Yeah. God <laughs> is a righteous <laughs> judge. Yes. That's most important. He is a righteous judge. Absolutely. Hey? He knows what he's doing. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Wow. Like, I, mean, okay. I mean, is this powerful? It is powerful. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and you see it in so many different places in the Bible. This is God's eternal plan, yep. which the Bible says was hidden. And now is revealed and it'll be uncovered and everyone will be shocked because when it's uncovered, no one saw what was going on. No one saw what yeah. God was doing. And it's often the way through history. God has always had someone he's preparing. You see right through the book of Judges, there was all these problems and things went. But in the middle of it, God was preparing someone to be a deliverer. 
I mean, That's the right. pattern is there. So Always. those deliverers are, are pictures of the sons of God. Yes. In preparation, yes. no one saw them. <laughs> then they come out, and suddenly there they are. You've got many pictures of the sons of God yeah. right through the Bible. Who were like, deliverers. Exactly. They were deliverers and restorers. And God's going to have a company of people Absolutely. who are sons and daughters of God who are called to be deliverers. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's stunning it, stuff. It is so wonderful. So... So it tells us then, he who overcomes and keeps my works till the end, I'll give power over the nations. So the overcomer is the one and says he will rule with the rod of iron. That's exactly the same as said of the man-child. So you notice it's, it's so that Revelations 12 is like going back and let's have a little wee summary yeah. of what we've been talking about. Yeah. God yeah. will birth the people. What will happen to them? There will be redemption of the body. They'll be resurrected. Will all be resurrected at that time? No, they won't. As you're saying in, in Philippians 3, Paul says, I'm pressing towards the goal of the prize of that high calling. He said, have I attained to it? No. He said, this is what I'm working towards. This is what my whole life is given towards is for the outform resurrection from the dead, yeah. where I will actually be resurrected from the dead and then have access into the supernatural realm, access to the throne of God, be able to be like Jesus who could access the throne of God and then turn up in a room. Hmm. See, see, Mike, like, this is why, and we're going to talk about it next week, why the, the teaching that Christians are going to get raptured or taken out before the great tribulation is so actually evil. Yeah. Because actually that is not the way God works. We'll, no. And we'll, we'll talk about that at length next time. But, but the issue is they, people who brought that up it was an escapist mentality, which then allowed Christians to sit back and just, oh, well, whatever will be, will be. But actually, that is no. so, that's the very opposite to what we're talking Absolutely. about tonight. We are to fulfill our priesthood and kingship now. If you're not doing it now, why would God bring you into that? In yeah. the future. See, 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 let me say something else. See, one of the things that I love about this, and again next week we'll talk a bit about it, you see, a lot of people talk about the mark of the beast. I mean, there, there are people trying to say that the mark of the beast is, in the, is going to be in, in the vaccine. It's not a nonsense. The yes. mark of the beast is not a literal mark. It's no. a spiritual marking. And all through yeah. the Bible, when there was a marking a person, it all had to do with allegiance, who you are allegiant to, either yes. to the devil or to man 666 <coughs> or to, to God. God. Yeah. And that's going to be the thing. That's why this thing of intimacy is so critical. Absolutely. Because we are right now being marked with a mark that will take us through the great tribulation, yeah. that will give us the power to overcome and to rule with Christ. It is not a literal marking, ladies no, and gentlemen. It is not. a spiritual marking. And yeah. right now, yeah. the angels of heaven and the Holy Ghost is putting a mark on yeah. people who've got intimacy, who've got a heart to worship and so yeah. on. Well, it says something on Isaiah. I'm sorry, I'm getting loud. Go through the city. I apologize. Yeah. No, no need to. It's great. Go through the city, he said the angel, and mark them that intercede. Ha! So it's again, you see, it's the whole issue of prayer and intimacy with God is the king that sets us the thing that sets us apart. Yeah. And you see that in, in, in Matthew chapter 7, which is the, the whole paradigm of the kingdom and how the kingdom is meant to operate on the earth, what a man living out kingdom reality looks like. This is the characteristics of that kingdom. Then at the end, he goes on to say, many will say to me in that day, many. Yeah. Yeah. In that day, that day is the day of the Lord, the day we're talking about now. He said, well, Lord, Lord. We did miracles in your name. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he will say, or I will say, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. Meaning, there's been no progressive deepening intimacy. You have actually operated out of giftings and faith, and you've used my name to enhance your own name. You've been operating lawless. So he's saying that the thing that will characterize those excluded from the kingdom is independence and lawlessness, because that's what characterizes the kingdom of the devil. So you can still be doing the work of God, but be operating as an independent, uh, lawless person, doing your own thing. I mean, this is so important, and we covered it a few weeks ago, but Mike, we, we, I just feel God wants us just to center in on this, because, see, a lot of people say, well, you know, God's using me, doing this, that, and the next thing, and, uh, and aren't, and you know how great I am, and Jesus, get off the throne, and I'll replace you, because I'm so powerful and awesome. But you see, God's calling these people with this thing, Lawless. Absolutely. Boy. Absolutely. That's why judge the thoughts and the intentions yeah. of the heart. Yeah, exactly. Why God's wanting to work on our heart. So there's a need for transformation. So I think the exciting, when you look at this teaching on the man-child, it is something yet to come that from within the church, those who are hearing the voice of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, going through the journey of maturity, yep. going through the process of developing intimacy and fulfilling their assignment, God, in His timing, will bring them into a dimension in the Spirit. Yep. So, so Mike, this has got nothing to do with salvation. All sa no, they're all no. saved, but it's like we said this morning, five wise, five foolish. Yes. But, they, but the five foolish are still saved Yes. But they've lost the reward. They've yeah. lost what it was all they about. They fail to enter the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is part of what the man-child comes into. Comes into the three things, actually. One is eternal intimacy, which starts off with the celebration of mm. a wedding feast. Mm -hmm. You're in or you're not in. Mm. Secondly, eternal authority. We've got a role and responsibility in repairing creation, restoring creation, and advancing the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that the, the increase of his government, there shall be no end. In other words, this is going to go on forever through ages. Yep. Now, now Mike, and then eternal glory, meaning that we're put into a resurrection body which has different degrees of glory depending on how we've lived our life and honored God. And that'll be recognizable all through eternity. Now, I've got a question here, and really it's really saying, you know, people moving in signs and wonders, some are seen as workers of iniquity and so on. Yeah. And, and so the, the, the question really is, how do we know when we're looking at a ministry or even in my own life, am I a worker of iniquity or actually is what I'm doing um, accepted by God? <laughs> <laughs> well, even Paul didn't know the answer to that. He said, I don't even judge myself. God, who will bring all things to light. We'll judge the thoughts and intents of the heart and bring everything to the open. Yeah, and of course, but the whole thing is that that means that when we walk our Christian life and we do our service unto God through the gifts of God, there's actually got to be a humility, yes. isn't there? Well, I think that the two things are the character of Christ revealed in Matthew eleven twenty nine: humility and meekness. Yeah. See, if there's a humility uh, is, is, is taking and adopting the attitude of a servant with no agenda. Yeah. And if we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. So you can see it very clearly there. And then secondly, meekness. Meekness is, have, is to have strength, but you contain it. In other words, you're restrained. You don't react to injustices. You're not reacting uh, when people turn up bad or do bad things. Your strength is contained. The opposite of meekness would be anger. See, if we think of it like this, oh, well, I served the church and I did all this stuff and no one really appreciated me. Well, it's the answer that's very quick. Very simple. Well, who are you doing it for? Exactly. 
it, it really. And, and here's the thing you can guarantee, if you're doing it for the approval of man, it'll always be withheld to flush up what's going on in your heart. Exactly. It's, it's never going to be there. And I found for many people, and I've seen many pastors, I've had to help them through the disappointments when they served and then later on were rejected or not honored or valued, they were dishonored, and the deep grief and pain, what have I done with my life? And that people are treating me like this. And I tell them, now listen, this is what you've got to do. You've got to take all of your giving and you've got to build an altar and make it an altar of your offering to the Lord, not to people. And give up all expectation that people will reward you and that preserves all of your sacrifice. See, it's the only way you can survive this. It is. It is indeed. See, if you're looking for people to approve you yep. and people to, to love you and all the rest of it, you, you're going to fall over every time. Absolutely. And, and, and God says, you know, he said, if you, are, if you love those who love you, then what grace is on your life, what divine empowerment is there? you just like this, even unsafe do that. If you pay back or you have expectation of something coming, you just like everyone. But he says, if you, if you love those, you know, hard to love. If you, if you give without trying to get something back, he said, then you're like your father. You're like, you are sons of your father. That's the word huios. When you behave like your father, you are sons of your father, who is kind to the just and the unjust. So very clearly, Luke chapter 6. And people don't see that, but it's hit, that's why you look at these words, you realize sonship looks like something in real life. It looks like the character of God being revealed. It looks like the nature of Jesus being revealed, humility, meekness, the fruit of the Spirit. So people have got a great ministry but lack the fruit of the Spirit. Well, God will honor the ministry and bless the people because of his name. However, that doesn't mean that person qualifies to be great in God's eyes. Greatness has got nothing to do with the kind of ministry you have. It's the matter, he said, he that does the will of my Father. See, 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 that's why there was such an emphasis in Jesus' ministry and then uh, later on in the epistles about a servanthood heart. Absolutely. A servant heart. Yeah. Because, you want to be great in the kingdom? Be a servant. And, and you see, there's that, there's that great parable that Jesus gave where he says the, the, the slave goes out and works all day in the field and he comes back and it's got nothing to do with you, son. You've now got to make my meal and get me ready for bed. And then maybe real late at night, you can have food. Yes, yeah. In other words, you've got no rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're operating out of gratitude because he's paid the price for you. Now return and give him the honor. Oh, so we're going to run out of time. So we know let's carry <laughs> we're on. We're running out this. of time. We're going to run out of time already. So... You notice there then it says in Revelation 12, 3, Now when the dragon saw had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So what's happened is there has been, with the ascendance of the man-child into the realm of dominion and authority, yeah. there's now been a warfare in the spirit yeah. realm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, see, currently the devil still occupies positions of authority. We should never be underestimate that. This is where our warfare is against principalities and powers. Yeah. He, now, legally, Jesus has taken all of that, but has uh, conquered him, but he hasn't actually exercised that yet until he has his overcomers. When he has his overcomers ready out of every generation, 2,000 years of preparing people, and then even before that, he'll have generations all through the Bible that people overcome. Then suddenly all of them will be brought together into that realm of authority, and that's when the devil's kicked out. Now, he's kicked out of the realm he currently operates in and comes to the earth, meaning dramatic 
chaos on the earth. Yeah. It means a, a massive increase of demonic activity at a, mm. a tremendous level. Great power and great anger the devil will have. Hmm. So this is what triggers off the three and a half years of tribulation. So it's a mixture of things. If you're the man-child caught up into that realm of authority, you have the joy of working with God and the displacing of his enemies out of the heavenly realm and occupying those realms that God always intended for Absolutely. Adam and his descendants. However, those who are on the earth, it's a bit of a problem. It says, rejoice those who dwell in the heavens, woe to those who dwell on the earth. So the, the man-child's ascension to the throne room and into power triggers dramatic chaos on the earth dramatic chaos wow and and it says now it says uh, now when the dragon sword being cast to the earth he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child so you've got the woman that's the church who are caught in the moving in the things of god in the end time and out of that is birth the man child now the woman's still there yeah and so, so she's still there. Notice it tells it's the, it's the woman who gave birth to the child. So now you've got the woman, the church. From the church has come the man-child. What's happened to the woman? What well, says now, this says he persecuted the woman. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that he might, she might fly into the wilderness to a place where she's nourished for three and a half years from the presence of the servant. So the woman who we saw in verse 1 is the same as this woman here. It's the, it's the church but from the church has come the man-child. Now, notice this what happens. It, it said uh, she's given two wings of a great eagle. What on earth is that? Well, if you go back and have a look into Exodus 19.4, and it says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings wow. and brought you to myself. Amazing. What is he saying there? He's saying, I raised up Moses and gave him authority that enabled him to subdue the power of Pharaoh and all the demons behind it. And as a result, I led you through to protection under the ministry of a, a, a son of God. So he's saying then, so when he says here, he said, the woman's given two wings of an eagle, she might fly into the wilderness. It's a reference straight back to Israel yes, under is. the leadership and authority of Moses being taken to a place. Now, the wilderness was a place of preparation. Yes, it was. It's a place of preparation for your inheritance. So again, the sons of God are manifest. Those who will receive their ministry will then be protected by them and will go through the preparation process for them also to come into their inheritance. Yeah. And then, of course, there's another group called the remnant of a seed. And if the, because the devil is protecting this company of people, now he persecutes all the others. And for them, it's very the, the, difficult. You mean the, 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 the man child's protecting these other company of people? The man child protects yeah. the woman, yeah. but, but the remnant of a seed, that's others. Others. Yeah. Christians? Yes, Christians. They're the remnant of a seed who have the word of God and keep the. And it, it, these are Christians, these are believers. Right. So you've got distinct three groups of people. Absolutely. You've got the man child, those who are overcoming, coming out of the church, being brought to the throne of God to fulfill God's ultimate purpose. Yeah. You've got those who are of the church, who receive what God is doing. Because you remember, there'll be a lot of people will call it demonic, like they do now with the supernatural. Yeah, yeah. They will react to it. So some will embrace, some will not. That's right. The some who embrace will be then given a place of protection under their ministry. You can only be protected by someone that you surrender to or submit to. 
if you're not led by someone, then you can't be protected by them. See, see, I mean, the, the pattern is all through the Bible. I mean, Matthew 24, as in the days of Noah, and you see there were who were taken, uh, all the unbelievers and people without faith yeah. and so on. But you see, you had a family who found who built a place of protection, provision, and enablement. Thy kingdom come, the yes. ability to access the, the resources of heaven. So you see, which is the same thing. In the wilderness, children of Israel, and they accessed food. They accessed supernaturally. Clothes supernatural. never got old. They, 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 yeah, they were protected. And I mean, this, I mean, this is unusual. so unpo- this is so important. Well, there's an unusual scripture in Isaiah 62:5, and it says this: "As a young man marries a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee." So he's talking then again prophetically. You see, to marry means to take a place of intimacy, of love, of serving. And so he's saying then the man-child then, acting uh, as the representatives of Jesus, will care for the church and protect the church and provide for the church. They will be operating like Jesus did in that supernatural dimension. But those who won't receive it will be the other group of people. Of course, it all parallels, doesn't it? Though, you know, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things? He says, depart from me, you workers yeah. from iniquity. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all parallel. Yeah. It, it keeps turning up in many different forms. So essentially, you've got to realize that we are called to enter an inheritance. So Romans 8 is all about inheritance. It's about the rights of the firstborn and what it takes to qualify as the firstborn. And you notice that in adoption, we're placed first into a family, then we're prepared, then we're placed into sonship, huiathesia, adoption, placed as a full son with full rights and full inheritance. So you cannot have full inheritance without preparation. It just can't take place. So right now, we're in the preparation process. And every person, God wants to work with you to prepare you. Hmm. So no one's disqualified to him who overcomes is an invitation to all. You see, Jesus' plan is that he'll have a man-child, a group of people, overcomers, that come into a realm of authority, and then through their ministry, he'll bring a whole realm of the church into it as well. See, yeah. Mike, I, I, this gives us an opportunity to say something. See, a lot of people feel that they're not qualified and, they, and there's no hope for them because they look at the great platform ministries who are doing great signs, wonders, and miracles, and they think, I could never, uh, you know, I could never be like that, therefore I'm disqualified. But actually, that's not what this is about. No, this is what it's about. I'd like you just to explain yeah. that point a little bit more. Well... I think what happens is when we think ministry, we always think in a narrow term of someone who's in the platform in the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it says, as we have all received the gift, minister the gift to people. In other words, everyone has got something. Yeah. Now, I don't want to get into the parable. I'm going to, I've got to say <laughs> yeah. something. About it. It's in coming. the parable of the, the talents. Talents. Yeah. So you got one gets five, one gets two, one gets one according to their capacity. So God recognizes everyone's got different capacities and he entrusts everyone with something. Yep. Now, of course, the whole message is all to the one. Why? Because the one tends to look down on what they have and not deploy it. See? So you can look and say, oh, I can never be anointed like this. Now, listen, it doesn't really matter. Don't compare yourself one with another. Without, compare yourself one with another. Without, uh, we're foolish because you're called to be you and do what God calls you. You have your own assignment. Yes. I have my assignment. My responsibility is to have intimacy with my father, let him help me grow, and fulfill what he assigned me to do. 
your role as a fivefold ministry is to equip and empower and empower me to do that ministry that God called me to and to grow and mature. Ephesians 4.11 ministries. So, so I can look at you. I don't have to be threatened by anything you do or how great you become or all great miracles you do because I'm not called to be you. Yeah. I'm called to follow Jesus, but you are sent by him to help me in my journey. Yeah. So I receive you, release what you have for me, and I model my life on the good qualities that you have, but I've actually got to follow Jesus and, and do what he said I'm to do. So he said, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, we did all these great things. But he said, it's only those who do the will of my Father. So that means I've got to discover what God wants me to do. If I'm called into politics, that's what I should do. If I end up in ministry, I've, I'm actually not doing what God called me to do. I'm doing what I thought or what I wanted to do or what looked good or I copied someone else. You can't copy someone else when God has a unique assignment for you. Ephesians 2.10, where his workmanship created in Christ for good works, God prepared uniquely for each of us before the world began. So you've got to find who you are and what you're called to do and do it. Your success is based really about following the leadership of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and surrendering to his work in your life and doing what he calls you to do. You, we can't, I can't say how successful you are because I don't know what God called you to. So there's no way I could judge whether you're a success or not. I could look, and look at external things and I can say, well, you're, you're on television and you're in the nations. That looks really successful. But I don't know because I'm not in a position to know what God said for you to do. See, see this absolutely addresses the whole attitude of people thinking they're not good enough, they're not attaining the, the purpose of God or the, or the best of God because they're looking at people and saying, well, I'm not like that person and I yeah. can't get like that person. But you see, God's judgment and God's view has got nothing to do with comparison, competitiveness. It has got to do with you and you alone. And that's why I love what Jesus said. He said, my, my food is to do the will yes. of him who sent me. So the issue is, what is the will of God for my life? Absolutely. And you see, that's why one of the things that we do in this church, when a person comes to our church, we try to help a person establish the will of God and say, you have to build your life around the will of God. Absolutely. Not trying to be something that you're not. Absolutely. But you see, we've got this thing in the church, and I've come across it increasingly, where people want it all to be done for them. Yes. But actually, I can't do it for anybody no. else no. because it's your will, it's your journey, it's your responsibility, and you've got to define what that is and follow that through. And of course, I, I, you know, for, for me, Mike, as you know, I mean, this, is, this was always in the early days a huge, huge challenge because you'd go to a conference and there'd be all of these people. Competing. We, we, we call it peacocks. Oh putting up their peacock feathers, you know, and uh, showing how great they, they, are, they are. But you see, it's nothing to do with that. It's got to do with this whole thing, as you said, humility and meekness. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Total surrender to his will. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. <clears throat> and, the, and the point is, once I've established the gift of God and the will of God in my life, at that point, I can then walk with peace because this is the direction I go. Yeah. I'm not trying to be a Mike Connell. I'm mm. not trying to be a Benny Hinn. No. I'm just being a Brent Douglas. Absolutely. There's only one of you. 
Only one of me. Yeah, God broke the mould after that. And everybody said, oh, thank <laughs> God for that. <laughs> Mike, oh, we well, it's, are... a huge, it's a huge issue, this one. Oh. That all, all sons and daughters have these three things. They're called to be intimate. Everyone can do yeah. that. They're called to grow and change and be transformed. Everyone can do that. Yeah. And they're called to discover what God uniquely called them to do and do it. Yeah. Being his representative in that arena, a priest and a king unto God in whatever arena that is. And the church's role is to empower the sonship, to mature the people and empower sonship. So the problem is if people have like a victim mentality, then they want someone to do everything. They come to church and they want the pastor and all the praying, all the preaching, all the whatever, and they're not giving themselves to build their own relationship and grow in their own knowledge of the Word of God. Yeah. It's a huge challenge. So, so you see, for those who actually don't understand this, there's a major problem. It says, the dragon was enraged with the woman and made war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So these are people who are believers. They just haven't overcome. They're actually quite independent believers. And oh. so there's a war against those people. So you see three groups of people very clearly. Man-child, those who have given their life yeah. to overcome. There's a lifestyle of overcoming. No matter what age you are, everyone has got something to overcome. And God sees that and gives you credit for what you have, what you've had to fight, what you've had to overcome. He sees all your little battles. He sees what you stood up to privately and overcome. And he says, that one qualifies. That one qualifies. That one qualifies. You know, Mike, we've, we've, we've done our hour. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I feel as though we're only just getting into it. <laughs> um, but, you know, the thing that I just love about what you've shared tonight is it actually brings great peace and rest to the heart of any believer listening to this because they can now stop trying to be something that they're not. Yes. And that's a big thing because, you see, legalism is all about telling you and me what we must do to be acceptable to God. Mm -hmm. Rules, regulations, whereas what we're talking about is the key issue is a relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. All the way. All the way. All and the then way. letting him deal with the heart. I, I talk about it as being walking by the revealed will of God. Yes. And it unravels like a scroll. It does. As you enter in and do what he's showing you to do now, then more is revealed. It just unravels in the course of your life. We want to have it all. Tell me what's going to happen. No. Read the book of Revelation. That's what's going to happen. There's the big uh, picture right there. But right true. now, God just wants you to be in love with him and to respond to him. And what he's showing you, get to work on dealing with it. Get some help if you need to deal with it. And what he's given you to put your hand to, do it. If you're in a school, then be, be God's best in the school. If you're in the workplace, be God's best there. But wherever you are, just be God's best. Be his representative and ambassador and be salt, well, be light. Absolutely. Bring his life absolutely. into that place and give Jesus the honor. Absolutely. Wow. Mike, what a phenomenal night it's been and, and the stuff that we've talked about. And I know it's going to raise lots of questions because for some people, <laughs> Revelation 12, it's just been unfolded in a way that many people would never read. You see, I know many Christians, Mike, that have never read the book of Revelation. Right. Well, you, you just can't, you can't walk the way 
of Christ in a in a in, in a revelatory way without actually having some understanding of this. Well, and of course, when people look at it, they they read it from all the point of the the beast and the tribulation and the mark of the beast. But it's well, all about get, us. It, but it's actually not that. It's the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's right. And what it's he, the full yes. revelation of Him and His Son and those in His image. It's yeah. it's the revelation of a company that are God's eternal purpose, a company of sons. You know, Mike, one of the things, um, I know we're over time, but, I, but you know, I, I think we need to address the, the churches in the book of Revelation because one of the things that you've talked about is this is a message to individuals. Yeah. The issues of, you know, um, all those various churches. And, of course, within it, there's all these lists of rewards. And, I, and most people have got to, haven't got a clue what the rewards are. That's why it says, blessed is the man who reads this book of prophecy and keeps it. Okay. You, you, there's a blessing comes with understanding it. Because if you don't understand what God's got ahead for you, you're not motivated. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but if you understand, oh, my goodness, oh, oh, this is a pearl of great price. I'm going to tell everything to get it. You know, this is, I've got to do everything I can to get a hold of this, which is what Paul yeah. wrote. This is, why, this is what moved him. Yeah. Well, Mike, we've got to come to an end. Oh, my goodness. Um, already but listen I want you to do whatever you feel you, you want to do and I know that people here tonight are really hungry I don't even know if I was trying to do an altar call as a result of tonight I wouldn't have a clue what to do except maybe just why don't we worship Jesus would be a great start well I don't know if we've got any musicians left oh, they've all gone, have they? yeah they, they didn't overcome. They, oh, no, no. Well, Warwick's here but I, I, I just think what, what you did last week speaking tongues a bit yeah. But, but if nothing else, it just pray for people to just let revelation come about yeah. their lives. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the, the whole thing of, Lord, what do you want to shine a light to in my heart? Yeah. What, what, what do I need to face? And, 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 and I think that would be a starting point, but it's up to you. I mean, you, you know what well, to I, do. I think perhaps, you know, if you look through the, the issues, and we could talk about it another time, but the biggest thing is to restore first love. Oh. Of all the things that we need, it's our first love restored, where our passion for Jesus, our mm. love for Jesus, where you can just be in his presence and have worship music going or whatever, and you're weeping because you long for him. You see, see that's first love, where we're in love with him. And I'm finding more and more, and particularly I've, I've studied more of this, as I think about it, I begin to weep at what he has and the longing for him. It's just the hunger, the longing for him. Now, you know, the hardest thing to maintain in your life is the hunger for God. And I think tonight, if we were to just say, why don't, why don't we just um, invite people to repair the altar of the Lord oh, that's broken down? Amazing. To repair the place. It says of Elijah. When the nation was, uh, you know, ruled over and dominated by all kinds of uh, Jezebelic, demonic forces, and the places in, in, in all kinds of failure, he repaired the altar of the Lord. Carefully repaired the altar of the Lord, and the fire came. Tonight, and I'd like tonight, yeah. really, to invite people, just who've lost their way a bit, things have happened, to come and just... Repair the altar of the Lord. Come back to a place of prayer. What a great thing. What a great thing. Come back to, do. to a place. Bring whatever you've suffered, whatever you've gone through, just bring it to Him. Wow. It can be disappointment. It can be uh, failure and sin. It can be things that people have done against us. It can be just things didn't work out. It can be just the pressures we're under. And we just go cold on Jesus. 
And I, I just think of all the things. I just want to have that love for Jesus. Yeah. You know, I was in the, in the meeting this morning, and I want to honor you for the, what you build here in worship. You got up and, and you lifted the atmosphere of worship. And I just was weeping, hungry for him. And uh, this is not something, this is something precious in your life to keep the hunger for God. It is, yeah. You know, it's what David said, one thing about Isaiah, one thing, that's what I long and seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold his being. In other words, I long to be in his presence and encounter him. And, you know, it'd be a great thing in days to come to talk about how to build that first love, how to establish that first love, how to become a worshiper. Because the overcomers are worshipers. They're worshipers. That's what makes the difference. We're worshipers. Yeah. Why don't you come tonight and, and what, wherever it is you're at in your life, it says, after all these prophets of Baal had done all their stuff, Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord, put it back in order, first place, and fire came. Now I want fire to come on your life. But you build the altar. It's in the Bible, the fire came when people build an altar to honor God. He's paid a price to save you. He paid a price to redeem you. Paid a price for you to, to come into a great inheritance. And he deserves the honor yeah. and the glory. So I want to make this about Jesus, not about our ministry. And, and you come and just stand there and just begin to worship him. If you need to repent, repent. If there's something you need to reconnect or commit your heart to him. If there's something you need to let go of, let it go. And just begin to build an altar of worship and love for him again. And I believe in that place was we lay hands on you, God's presence will come. Amen? Come on. Phenomenal. Come on, we all stand and just pray in the spirit. Man, thank you. We've got some musicians behind. You're so good.